How's everybody doing? Are we well? Yeah? Cool. Well, I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight um, in a little bit of a different capacity. I'm used to being up here and singing a little bit more than I am teaching, but um, I am looking forward to the opportunity tonight just to um, get to look at this scripture with you guys and and talk about it and hopefully um, encourage you in some way, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, journey. Uh, I was just thinking as we were singing tonight, there was a lot of songs that we sang tonight about death and blood and all this stuff that might sound a little crazy to somebody walking into a room for the first time. And I got to thinking about it and and I thought, you know, really that is the crux of last weekend. We had Easter last weekend and that's the crux of what the Bible is all about. It's about this Savior who came and died for us. And that's why there's so many songs that talk about the blood of Jesus and and, and the death of death and all these things like that. It's not because we're morbid people or anything else like that. We just need to continue to remind ourselves of where, where our life is found, and that's in Jesus. And even as believers, whether you're, like I said, you walk in the room tonight and you wouldn't say that you call yourself a Christian or whether you've been a Christian for like 40 years, wherever you find yourself in the spectrum, We need to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to continue to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done. And so tonight, I hope that we can do that in some ways. We open this text and look at it tonight. Uh, My name's Harley, or Harley, if you're from Australia. That's where I'm originally from. But if I say Harley, people always think it's Holly, and then it's just kind of weird because they think I have a girl's name. So that's always just kind of awkward because I'm like, no, no, it's Harley. So anyway... Nick laughs at me every time I introduce myself, like literally every time, because I'm like, hey, I'm Harley, you know, and I sound like I am got off a pirate ship or something. But anyway, I work here at the church with Nick, um, Redemption City Church, and we came up here uh, last, I guess, was it last week or two weeks ago, um, was a year ago we left uh, Houston. So it's kind of crazy. It's all happened quickly. This time last year, we were in Australia visiting my family, and then we went straight up to Round Rock and joined some of you all up there. So a year goes quickly. Let's pray tonight um, before we jump into the text and before I really get into the meat of what we're talking about tonight. What I'd ask you to do is just kind of close your eyes, bow your heads where you are, and I want to ask you to just Talk to God for a second. And I know for some of you that might feel totally natural. For some of you, maybe not so much. But just ask God to speak to you tonight. God, this isn't an elaborate or drawn-out prayer. It's just simply asking that you would speak to us. And so tonight, I just pray that you would hear the prayer of all these people here. And that's my prayer too, God, that you would speak to us tonight out of your text, out of the words coming out of my mouth. I pray your Holy Spirit would direct my heart and my mind as I speak. And Lord, I pray that something, um, that you would use this time for your, sig- your significance and your glory, Jesus. That there would be something, a truth, uh, a reality that we could hold on to tonight that would encourage us, continue to point us towards you. Lord, you are the center of all things, and we submit to your authority tonight, even as we open your word, and we just ask again that you would speak through it. Thank you. Amen. Okay, so if you were going to die, uh, this is a nice way to start, isn't it? If you were going to die tomorrow night, not tonight, but tomorrow night, if you had like 24 hours to think about it for a while, 
what, what would you guys do if you had 24 hours left on your clock, on your ticker? You go to church. That's a very good answer. Thank you, Sean. That's, that's great. I, Jesus. What would you guys do? If you, if you knew tomorrow night, you know it's done, toast. If you're not, though, what would you do? Yes. That's a very good answer. Now, this was a very nice, good answer. Some of you are probably thinking, I'd go eat such and such, or I'd go spend such and such. But that's a great answer, and actually the answer I was looking for. Because really, I want to ask the question, not what would you do, but what would you say to those that were closest to you, to those who are most significant in your life? What would you pass on to them? If you only had you know, 24 hours to live, what would you say to those people who are closest to you? Think about that for a second. Liz and I were watching a movie the other night, and I am not recommending this movie because it was horrible. It was called The Time Traveler's Wife. And sorry if you like it, but I did not like it. Anyway, we were watching this movie, and I'm going to give away some of the movie plot because I think it was horrible and it's not worth watching anyway. So anyway, I was watching this movie, The Time Traveler's Wife. I saw the cover, and I'm like, oh, this doesn't look good, but... It has time travel in it, so maybe there's some Michael J. Fox or something cool in there. I don't know, but it wasn't cool. Anyway, we got into this movie, and I think the thing that annoyed me the most was what happened in the story. So let me explain a little bit. The main character, he kind of zapped back and forth in time, but had this main timeline he was going along, and he was married and had a kid, but in his zapping back and forth, he figured out when he was going to die. So he moves towards this date when he's going to die and never does like anything significant about it. He doesn't sit down with his wife, uh, you know, and, and say, hey, this is happening on this date, you know, so working up towards that, I want, you know, he never had that conversation. So they arrive at this moment where he's about to die and then all of a sudden she realizes it and it's awkward and it's horrible and the movie goes on and as a disaster. But anyway, the reason I say that tonight is because he had an opportunity to make a significant moment because he knew when his life was ending and he didn't take it, which is actually the opposite of what we're going to read in the text tonight because Paul, he knew that his time up was up with his friends. He wasn't going to get to visit with them or see them anymore. God revealed that to him and he comes to them and he makes the most of this opportunity. He has this conversation with them. So it's cool to see that unlike the character in The Time Traveler's Wife, Paul actually makes the most of the opportunity that he has. And so we're going to look at Paul and look at this conversation that he has with these people who are really close to him. But before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of background on Paul, because I know we may not all be on the same page here tonight. So bear with me. Some of you already know this inside and out. Some of you, it will be kind of new information. But Paul is a character out of the book of Acts that we've been reading through together as a church. Now, some of you there have uh, kind of a place to take notes, the bulletin, whatever you want to call that, the listening guide. On the other side of that is a a reading guide. The reading guide is just a guide. It's not a legalistic thing. You're not a better Christian if you read through this with us. It's just a suggestion on where you can read with us through the book of Acts. So we've all been reading through the book of Acts. And as we've done that, we've heard a lot about Paul. Now, Paul's an interesting guy because he is incredibly zealous. He's like one of those people that is like 
Olan or Olaf type guys. You can just tell that from the text. So this guy is like the most Jewish Jew guy you've ever met. He's like a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's what he calls himself. And that's like a very particular sect inside the Jewish um, kind of hierarchy of things. And so Paul is, is this guy, and he's very zealous for the Jewish nation and the Jewish faith. Well, in the meantime, while he's growing up and believing all these things, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus dies, which we celebrated at Easter. He's risen again. And then he sends his disciples out to go make disciples of all the nations. Well, Paul doesn't like this because this message of Jesus doesn't fit into his idea of who God is or what's going on. And so he begins to persecute the church. And we know him as Saul in the first part of the book of Acts. Saul's out there. He's like, you know, literally dragging people to prison, men and women, to prison because they're Christians. And he's approving of the murder of some of these Christians. I mean, he's zealous. He's going after it, doing what he thinks is God's will. The Lord wills it, you know. And on his way to do what he thinks the Lord is willing him to do, he's on his way to Damascus one day. And in the middle of the road, the middle of the desert, he gets struck by light and God reveals himself to him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he has this encounter with Jesus. And in a moment, he's radically changed into somebody else. He goes from being this zealous Jewish guy to being this crazy Christian missionary guy. Um, In a moment, he changes from one to another. And it's such an encouragement because it reminds me that Jesus can change even the hardest of hearts. He can change us instantly by just this, this moment that he has with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it totally changes his life. Paul then goes from being this guy persecuting to being the guy going from town to town talking about Jesus, how good Jesus is, who he is, what he's done, and how he is the Messiah. He is God's son. So Paul goes from town to town telling this message. Now, this message doesn't come easily. He's beaten up. He's put in prison. He gets rocks thrown at him. People think he's dead. I mean, all these things are documented in the book of Acts. So that's, that's your background on where we're up to. So towards the end of Paul's traveling missionary ministry, he starts to seem to slow down just a little bit. And what I mean by this is we read about him being in the church in Corinth for over a year. And that's a long time for Paul to kind of stop and be somewhere. And then he's at the church in a place called Ephesus for three years. So he continues on in his travel and then he comes back past as he's headed towards Jerusalem. God starts to reveal to him saying, hey, you're not going to be a free man anymore. You're going to be in chains. And so he starts to know that this is going on as he's heading towards Jerusalem. And he calls his friends from the church at Ephesus, where he spent three years, and says, hey, I want to have a conversation with you guys. I want to encourage you one last time, because I don't think I'm going to get to see you again. This is it. And so that's why this is a significant significant conversation. Does that make sense to you guys? So that's the context. I know that's a lot, but that's the context that kind of brings us to where we're at tonight. Okay? Um, So... You may be asking me or or thinking, okay, what relevancy does this have? Well, there's a couple of things. The first thing you need to hear is this. This part of the scripture, which is Acts 20, by the way, if you want to start turning there. This part of the scripture is very different from the rest of the book of Acts because most of the time when there's dialogue from Paul recorded, 
it is Paul speaking to non-believers. This is unique in that it's Paul talking to church leaders. And so he's encouraging church leaders. So it sounds a lot like one of the later books of the Bible that Paul wrote, like Corinthians or Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, all those type of books. It sounds like an epistle is what we call those books. So anyway, it's unique in that way. But you may ask, like I said, you may ask, what has this got to do with me? What, you know, this is Paul 2,000 years ago, like around 2,000 years ago, speaking to church leaders in a province of the Roman Empire in a town called Ephesus. What's that got to do with anything? And that's a great question for you to ask. And I'm going to try and answer that before we don't jump into the text, because I don't want us to just plow on into the text expecting you to understand how or why this should apply to you. You're in one of two camps tonight. The first camp you may find yourself in is you may be a believer or you may be an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever, if you, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you call you, you're not sure if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, tonight, what I want you to hear is the grace and the gospel. There is the gospel written through all these words. The love of Jesus is in these words that we're about to read. And my hope and my prayer is that you would hear that message tonight. The interesting thing is that often when, when I use the word gospel or have used it in the past, I think of like this neatly organized formula of you know, what the gospel is and verses that I've memorized and all this thing. But the thing I'm learning more and more and I feel like God's teaching me in is that the gospel applies personally to each of us in different ways. There are things in our lives that we've tried to, to fill a void with in our lives that are different. And God speaks to each of those uniquely. Uh, so wherever you're at tonight, I just if you're an unbeliever, I, I, I believe that you were like I was before I believed in Christ, where I had this hole in my life, not a, not a physical hole, but a, a spiritual hole that I would try and put things in other than God, whether that was popularity or um, it could be a myriad of different things. We can put relationships, um, finances, security. We can make all of these things that we try and fit in this hole. But only Jesus fits the whole. So my prayer for you tonight is if you are not a believer, if you're not sure if you're a believer in Jesus, is that you would hear the message that fits that whole, the gospel, who Jesus is, what he's done. If you are a believer, what I want you to hear tonight is basically this. I want you to hear the words of an older man who has lived a seasoned life, who has lived a faithful life in front of God. It would be like you sitting down with an old man who's lived a lot more life than you have, and just gleaning wisdom from him. Does that make sense? So as, as a believer tonight, what I want you to do is kind of pick up on one or two things that God may be saying to you through the text, encouraging you in, uh, maybe even admonishing you in, kind of saying, hey, you need to pick up your game here in, in this area a little bit, or, or I need you to trust me more in this way as we read through these words. Okay? So that's my prayer for us as we read this text. Acts chapter 20 is where we're at. There's a lot to it. So what I'm going to do, rather than reading this big chunk and trying to have you follow where I'm going, I'm going to read a section and then we'll talk about it and then we'll read a section and talk about it. Because I feel like if I was out there and I just read a big chunk, I'd be like, ooh, over here, checked out. So I'm trying to help you as I help myself. Is that okay? Okay, good. So Acts chapter 20, verse 17 is where we start out. Has everybody got it? Oh, by the way, there's Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, um, I meant to mention that earlier. Sorry. 
Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And we're going to just read that first paragraph. Now from Miltus, he sent to Ephesus, that's the people we're talking about, he being Paul, and called for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, you know from the the first day I set foot in Asia, that's where they live, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. And that I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Let's stop there for a second. Paul is giving a testimony about himself. He's saying, hey, this is who I am and this is how I lived. And I don't want you to read this tonight, any of this tonight, as Paul being arrogant. This is not an arrogant man. All he is saying is, think of him more as a fatherly figure. Continue to try and keep that in your head as we read this. He's saying, hey, I lived a life that was worth following in front of you guys. And right from the get-go, I am challenged by this because I look at Paul and I'm like, man, when I'm like his age and could I turn and say to people around me, hey, as you've seen me live, as I've lived humbly and as a servant, you should follow my example because that's basically what he's saying. And so I'm challenged by that. I'm like, man, this guy like lived what he talked. You know what I'm saying? Like those two things lined up, which is a beautiful thing. Paul talks specifically about servitude and humility. And these are two qualities, being a servant, being humble, that we do not talk about in the church. This is not the cool thing to talk about in church. You don't hear often pastors get up and say, hey, come to Jesus and you'll learn how to be a servant or you'll learn how to be humble. You know, that's not a cool message to get up and preach. But really, that's what Paul is saying here. And Paul's not just saying it because it's something he thought up. He saw it modeled in Jesus. He'd heard about how Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. Jesus was, as we, as we read the scriptures, he was a servant leader. Now, those two things sound like they shouldn't ever come together, a servant leader, right? Sounds like an oxymoron, where two things that shouldn't combine. But the truth of the matter is that that is who Jesus was. That is who Paul was, and that's who we are called to be. We're to be servant leaders, to have humility, to have servitude. So I, I'm just saying, first and foremost, as I've read through this text several times this week, getting ready to, to teach this evening, this has been what's been convicting me, to be that servant leader, to, to uh, like Paul says here, to not shrink back from proclaiming anything. The other thing that I want you to see in this paragraph really quickly is verse 21. It says, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul's boiling it down and saying, hey, what I did was I preached And what I preached was repentance and faith. He doesn't give this big elaborate, you know, this is what I preached. He just says, I preached repentance and faith. And sometimes we make the Christian message, the gospel, so big and complicated. But the truth of the matter is, yes, it's very deep, but it's very simple at the same time. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Can you guys say that with me? Ready? We're going to say repentance and faith after three. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, you're all so excited to say that. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. Very good. I want to, the reason I say, get you to say that is I want you to remember it. I want you to remember that because I think that's a, kind of one of the important parts of this whole passage of Scripture. 
repentance and faith. This is not just the message that we're to believe in, to be Christians, repentance and faith, but it's also the message that we're to proclaim. Does that make sense? Just as Paul proclaimed this message, we're to proclaim this message. Again, he's using his own life as an example. Repentance and faith. Now, let me dissect that a little bit more for you tonight. I just, I just, for those people that, are, you know, I was talking about the God-shaped hole earlier, the hole in your heart, in your life. Let me diverge here for a second. Repentance and faith basically means this. You come to a point where you realize the things that you're putting in that hole in your life just aren't working. They're not cutting it. You're trying to make them higher than God, basically, is what is happening. So let me use some examples. Uh, For example, if I was trying to find my significance and my meaning, my worth in relationships, I'm putting them up higher than God. Does that make sense? Or if I'm trying to find it in popularity, I'm putting popularity up higher than God. And repentance is the moment when we realize that that's not right. When we push that to the side and say, that's not right, God's meant to be in that spot. And we come to a point and we say, God, I am sorry. That's repenting. That's saying, God, I am sorry that I've tried to put other thing or other people higher than you. And faith is simply the step of saying, Jesus, I believe that you live the perfect life that I am not living. And I need your help. Repentance and faith. Does that make sense? Repentance, faith. So I want you to hear tonight, that is simply the message of the gospel. The gospel is a message of repentance and faith. I'll stop saying it. I know it's kind of getting over and over, but I want you to hear that. I want you to remember that tonight. We both receive this for ourselves and proclaim it, okay? All right, let's read on. We're going to keep moving here. There's a lot to this. Verse 22 says this, And now I am on my way to Jerusalem. He's declaring his intent, bound in my spirit. God's convicted him that this is what he's meant to do. Not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Sounds fun. But I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace, which is repentance and faith. Okay. What I want you guys to see here is a couple of things. Paul is heading to Jerusalem, even though he knows that suffering is what waits him there. And I am kind of like, I guess, um, challenged by this. At the same time, kind of like, whoa, that's, I can't believe that that's his response. He knows that suffering's ahead of him, following God's plan, but he just walks on. I mean, it's almost like it doesn't phase him. Now, I know at some level it probably did phase him, but... I'm just encouraged that this man is ready to faithfully walk out what God's calling him to. It's kind of like, this isn't really a good example, but we're expecting twins in a couple of, 10 weeks-ish? 10 weeks, we're expecting twins, and we know life is going to change. Life changes, right? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Uh, (laughs) So it's like this moment down the line that we know is coming, but we can't do anything to change. And we're not going to do anything to change, but we walk towards it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's not a very good example because I don't have a choice to jump off it. Paul had a choice to jump off the trajectory he was on. But I just want to say to you guys tonight, I use that as an example because it's what I can think of in my life, the things that I'm headed towards that I know are going to be hard, but I know it's what God's called us to. Does that make sense? And there's probably much better examples you can use in your own lives. But as God calls you, we're going to talk about this later on, but as God calls you, it's not always going to be an easy calling. 
And my question to you, my question to myself is, are you going to be faithful to step out as he calls you in that direction, even if it's not easy? That's my question to you. And I also want for us to consider why Paul would even think like that. It just seems kind of strange to me. And I think it's really captured in verse 24. Let me read it to you again. It says, But I count my life of no value to myself. Isn't that kind of crazy? I count my life of no value to myself. Paul, this is the same guy who's famous for in Philippians, writing the words, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This guy had an attitude in life where he was like, I'm hands off. I'm not about my agenda. I'm not about my will. I'm not about what I'm doing. I'm about God and what he's doing. So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Could I say those words honestly? Tonight, I'm challenged by that. I'm challenged by Paul's attitude. I really am. And I want to ask you to think about yourselves. Do you have that attitude like Paul had, like Christ had, where you could say, honestly, my life is not mine, it's God's? Because that's what we're called to. Servant leaders. That's what we're called to. It's not an easy calling. (laughs) This is not a good, this is not an easy message, you know, (laughs) tonight. I'm not getting up here, hey, follow God and it's all going to be hunky-dory. You know, that's not this message tonight. But it's a good message, and and I hope that we leave on an encouraging note because I want to tell you what happened afterwards, what happened through Paul's life and through his ministry as he faithfully followed. It wasn't easy, but God used him in amazing ways, okay? So I will encourage you with that, I promise. Let's move on, though. Verse 25, it says this, And now I know that none of you will ever see my face again. That's where he dropped the bomb in the conversation because up to this point they're like, oh, yeah, it could be hard for Paul. But all of a sudden he's like, I'm not going to see you guys again. Everyone I went about preaching the kingdom to. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock that God has... Sorry, that the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after I have my departure, savage wolves, he's using this sheep herding imagery, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I did not stop warning each one of you with tears. This is an interesting paragraph. Paul's challenging these church leaders to not shrink back. Again, there's kind of like this theme. He said that in that first paragraph, and he says it again. Don't shrink back. I've got both of those underlined in my text. And as I've been reading through this tonight, to get ready for tonight, that has really been encouraging to me. But God calls us not to shrink back. The, inter- the other interesting thing right after that that is in the text, it says, guard yourselves and your flock. Now, it's interesting that there's that order in the text. It's not just like, hey, guard the flock that God's given you. Paul's saying, hey, take care of the things at home. And then you'll be able to take care of the things outside the home. Does that make sense? And when I say home, yourself is what I mean. So Paul's encouragement is, hey, look after what's going on for you spiritually. Be alert for yourself. 
and then know that you're to look out for those people around you. Now, at this point, some of you are reading this and being like, well, these are church leaders, so this text applies to maybe Nick and Harley and the elders and maybe a couple of people who help out with worship. But I really want you to see that being a Christian leader is anybody who believes in Christ. Let me explain a little bit, and I think I talked about this last time I spoke. But if you are a Christian, say this is your life. Around your circle of life, there are people that are watching you, whether it's workmates or people you go to school with or people in your family or friends, sports, hobbies, whatever it is, these people in the sphere around you, they are watching you to see what it looks like to be a a Christian. So say something bad happens to you, like somebody dies in your family or whatever, they're watching, hey, how does so-and-so respond as a Christian in this scenario? They're watching you. You are being a Christian leader. Does that make sense? Whether you're a good one or a bad one, you are being a Christian leader. And so I think this text applies directly to each and every one of us. I want to put a little side note on here too, though. Paul is talking specifically to these elders, these overseers in the church. And if you hang out with us here at Redemption City Church long enough or anyone that teaches the Bible well, they're going to encourage our men to step up and to lead. We have a void in our culture of men leading. And even in our churches, I hate to say that, but that's true. We have a void of good men leading well. And so we're going to encourage you, if you stick around here long enough, we're going to start talking about discipling and maturing you and moving you towards eldership. That's just part of the deal. So anyway, that's a side note. Back to what we're talking about. Any of you who is a Christian has a sphere of people that are around you watching you to lead them. And really, if you want to take this analogy and follow it through, they're your flock. They're the people that God has put around you for a reason. Now, sometimes it's not really easy to have these people around you um, interacting with them day in, day out. They're not the easiest people to do that with. But for whatever reason, God has put them in your life for a reason. And you are to be light to them. And you are to declare that message, the message of repentance and faith that we talked about earlier. All right. There's way more that we could say on this text, but I'm going to move on because I want to make sure we finish up here. Just interesting to note that that part that does say that there's some people who will rise up and and tear apart the flock. And I feel like in the first verse of this next paragraph, Paul kind of addresses how we we look after those deviant doctrines, the non-sound Bible teaching. We take care of it with the Bible. Listen to how it reads. It says, in verse 32, and now I commit you to, to God and to the message of his grace or the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's saying, I don't owe anybody anything. I don't owe any of you guys anything. I didn't, I didn't proclaim this message to you so I could get rich or be provided for or anything else. I pro- proclaim this message to you because God told me to. And he also entrusts them, like I said, to God's word. And so my challenge to some of you tonight is just to God's word. Are you committing yourself to this? Are you centering yourself on God's word? Is it something that you're digesting daily? Because Paul is saying that this, 
Let me read it for you again. And now I commit you to the message to God and to the message or the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance. This is important. It's for building you up and giving you an inheritance. And so I want to encourage you guys to be daily in God's word. And don't just approach it like, you know, the big pill you've got to swallow at the, at the start of the day. When you come to God's word, just say, hey, God, would you speak to me this morning? And open it up. Read it. You can use the reading plan like we talked about, or you could do something else. There's many ways to open God's word. I'd love to talk to you about that some more if you've got questions on that. Okay, let's read this last paragraph. Verse 36. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. Let me read the first part of the next verse. After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail. There's this moment where Paul's done speaking. He's encouraged them as best as he can, and he prays for them. They pray together, they cry, and they say, they, say their goodbyes. And it's a hard moment. It's a really tough moment, actually. I mean, I think Luke is really, Luke's the author of this book of Acts. I think Luke's really trying to make that clear to us because he says, we tore ourselves away. He's, he's trying to make it obvious to us that, hey, this wasn't an easy process. And what I want you guys to hear in this moment is this, is that what God calls us to is not always easy or comfortable. I feel like I can identify with this one a little bit because from time to time, I get to drive to the airport or be in the airport with my parents or with my brother, and they live on the other side of the world. I love them dearly. I'm thankful that they're believers, but they're on the other side of the world. And I don't get to do life day in, day out with them. They don't get to see my little guy traffic growing up, and that's really hard. And I'm the emotional dinosaur who just turns around and doesn't look back, and I bottle it all up. Um, Liz doesn't do as good with it as I do. She's crying now. Um, so, sorry. Um, but I, I feel like I can kind of understand what happens in this moment with Paul being torn away from these guys, just on some level. I get to see my parents every year or two. I mean, it's, it's not that bad. But it's hard because I know that that's what God's called us to. I believe that God has called me to be here in Austin, Texas, to be a part of this church plant. I believe that. And to be, fulfill that calling means being away from my family. Now, when I see them, I'm like, I always tell them, I'm like, I'm ordering a home in heaven next to you if I can. You know, that's where I want to live is right next door to you so I can see you a lot. That's often what I tell them. But it's hard. Following God's calling is hard. And there's nowhere in Scripture that says, follow God's will and it will be easy. It's hard, but it's good. It's hard, but there's much blessing that comes in it. Hear me say that. It's hard, but it's good. Let me explain a little bit. And this is kind of what I, the thought I want us to kind of think on as we finish up. Paul went on. I'm going to ruin the next part of the story for you. But Paul went on, and he went to Jerusalem. He gets, starts a riot in Jerusalem and gets put in chains for pretty much the rest of his life. He's chained up. But in that time, he sits down and begins to write letters. And as he writes letters, 
he writes these letters that start circulating in these churches. He writes letters to these churches, to these church leaders. There's a book called Ephesians. It was a letter written to these guys that we just read about. And these letters start getting circulated from church to church because they encourage them and they build these churches up. And these letters start getting circulated more and more to the point where here we are 2,000 years later and a big chunk of the rest of this book, of the, the rest of this Bible, is letters written by Paul that God has used Paul's life and his ministry to blow up his ministry. Does that make sense? Because at, at that current time when we were reading, Paul had influence just over all these church leaders that lived in the first century, you know, all these plant churches that he'd planted. When he starts writing these letters and these letters are circulating to people and they're read for like the last 2,000 years, his influence has been over literally millions and millions of Christians, literally. And it, it was a hard thing. Paul was chained up for the rest of his life. But God was able to use it. It was good. Does that make sense? So I just want you to hear that tonight, that what God calls us to, the seasons of life that we go through, the things that happen, they're not always easy or always comfortable, but God is good and faithful in all of that. Does that make sense to you guys tonight? Do you hear that in the text tonight? So I want that to be an encouragement to you. All right, I'm going to ask Landon and Jada to come on up. They're going to lead us in another song or two here in a moment. But I want for everybody in the room here to just stop and consider tonight what God has been saying to you. Again, you're in one of two seats tonight. You're either a non-Christian or you're a Christian. And if you're a non-Christian tonight, my, my prayer is that you've heard the message and the gospel of grace, that it's a message of repentance and faith and that God loves you. He wants to fill that big void in your life. So I want you to hear that tonight. If, if you've got questions about what it means to be a Christian or how that looks or what it, what it would look like, come and ask me. Ask Nick. Ask Jada. Ask one of us what that looks like. Don't just leave this moment. If you are a believer tonight, I want to ask you to just sit there and think for the next few minutes, even while the song starts, about what it is that God's saying to you, how he's encouraging you by this older seasoned Christian who's speaking to you tonight. What are the things that he's encouraging you in? Is it one or two things that he's encouraging you in? And just give that to God. Talk about it. Do business with God. Do your thing.